Celebrity Tumor presents Delivery How's prison treating you, Elliot? Time to reflect? Yes, Detective Inspector. I have had time to think about it. So much time. Enough time. But prison is a between time, and like the womb of between space. Have you not been reading the papers? The times? They are a changing. Indeed. But we're not here to talk about that, Elliot. You are a fish out of water here. One wonders what brings you across the pond. Surely these Canuck coppers can tell you all sorts. Why the TLC? Oh, everyone has an angle to sell. Yours is invaluable in certain circles. Don't I know it. Go on. Get it out, lad. Piano mover to pay the bills, as it were. You know the routine. Dreams shattered, but cannot fully amputate the desire. So you settle for proximity. Long since buried was my time on the Upper West Side. Those sunny walks to the conservatory on a sweltering Tuesday. Now only an ache covered by so much dirt. Well, <laughs> I know a lot about pianos. The job requires a degree of spatial knowledge, as well as keys and strings. As I suspect you have uncovered, my time there was to come to an abrupt end. I really love New York. I never wanted to leave. However, in my own attempts to rebalance the universe, I relocated. Vancouver is boring, but I needed that ebb to sufficiently sulk. Gotta flatten Burnaby, which I was to learn is an excellent place to become invisible. Finding that job as quickly as I did was also unexpected, though. At the time, I was numb to this. Milton said I breathed new life into Chelsea. Said I reworked the rest into new spaces, a future to be written by history's incurable page-turning. Anyway, let us get back to your story, D.I. Stephen. I had not been to this part of Vancouver before. That is not odd, as I had only been living there 13 months at this point. Laying low, as it were. It was odd that we'd never been to this particular piano repair shop. Pretty sure we'd moved pianos from every single venture in the greater Vancouver area during those first few months. A lot of ground got covered. These guys seemed to do it all. You could see techs turning old Heinzmans, refurbishers sanding away some Steinways, and other guys loitering around the shop. Big garage-type place. Lots of sawdust and the reeks of varnishes and oils. I walked in with my crew and was rewarded with callous stares. Were they not expecting us? I tell you this part because it functions as foreshadowing. 
It is not the most shocking thing to have three brawny white guys in coveralls walk into an all-Korean piano repair shop and get a lukewarm reception. We are on their surf. The lack of expression those faces showed us was disconcerting, to say the least. I am well-educated and understand that certain cultures do not employ facial expressions to the degree that others do. I know this. I know this and spent plenty of time in Koreatown during my days in New York. This was different than that. This was cold. Lights out, Detective Inspector. Are you understanding me? Yes, I believe so. Excellent. The thing was, they never stopped working. I mean the tasks at hand. Threading a string, turning a screwdriver, or sanding a surface. Whatever they had been doing just before we arrived, they never stopped, even as their eyes locked on us for those uncomfortable minutes. We made our way through this unpleasantness toward the back office. Do you speak Korean? Not a word. There's an elegance to it, like German or Arabic, and no, I'm not saying that they're all similar in terms of grammar or phonetics, but they are exactly the same in that they are mischaracterized as ugly languages. Anyway, the boys on the crew could not understand a word that was being uttered around them. The office manager signed off on the bill of lading, cocked his eye, and furrowed his brow. I had to piss like a racehorse. I will not forget that. The manager choked out some murky directions, directing us to go through the section beyond the work area. His broken English left far too much to the imagination. Seeing the boys agitated, I opened that office door and stepped out. I will not lie. It was stuffy in that tiny office. I was happy to get a lungful of furniture varnish. We made our way down a very narrow hall, lined with chip particle board. On one side, there was a makeshift door with a crude toilet drawn on it in Sharpie. I waved the boys to go on without me and went into piss. There was no light in there, and for that, I was happy. There was no ventilation either, and unwanted evidence of my predecessor lingered in the tight air of that space. I pulled my undershirt up and covered my nose with it. As I urinated, the sound of liquid hitting plastic convinced me there must have been only a bucket in there. An entire childhood and a few prime years of manhood spread training to feel every note, chord, and tempo in every nerve ending I possessed, to dream of staccato, glissando, and legato. All of that beauty and wonder, and here I am standing in a puddle of blue-collar piss. We all have a personal event horizon where our dreams collapse under maximum density. That hallway seemed darker than before the piss, like a bulb dims when a larger appliance is switched on. I made my way down it cautiously. The hall veered left and opened into a cacophony of broken pianos. I mean more like disassembled. Keys and sections of wood lay haphazardly in giant piles. Huge spools of piano wire punctuated the debris. It was a hoarder's labyrinth. 
On the other side of that space, there was a smaller, shorter hall. As makeshift as the last, this one led into a much larger room. Very high ceiling, donning industrial lights in the rafters. Concrete floor and cold. It was unseasonably cold in there. A pungent wave of brine, iodine, and ambergris occupied every space of that room. The worst of a Long Island low tide, if I am being crystal. Large glass tanks sitting on waist-high steel benches lined two of the far walls. The tanks filled with murky water, like a bit too much biology had blossomed deep within. I remember there being a persistent, get slow, royal. In the center of the room, a colossal machine sat humming. That sound, you see, was oppressive. It was employing near-crippling decibels and resonated at a very low frequency. If I were to venture a guess, Detective Inspector, I would wager around 20 hertz. It purred. You could feel it, too. The combination of the olfactory assault with that droning felt like a womb. Atop the machine was a very large, forking piece of metal, shaped exactly like a tuning fork. Something similar lay discarded nearby. Both were over three feet in length. That's about one meter, detective. I know. Did you know that most tuning forks are made of steel? Neither of these appeared to be. They were black. I do not know how else to describe that color. Black matte? No sheen, but not textured either. Just impossibly dark. You could feel all the light being pulled into it. Now, as I have said, clearly one of them was functioning. How exactly or for what purpose was not apparent. The other lay on the floor among various solvents and chisels. They had been working to remove the barnacles and corrosion from this and a curious mechanism lay next to it. The box-life device appeared to be a damaged set of gears corroded by acidic seawater and salt. I am not literate in medieval Scandinavian languages, Detective Inspector, but I know what I saw engraved on them. I suspect you've read all this before. In my statement? Mmm, yes. But I'd like you to tell it to me, as you remember it. Please continue. I took pictures with my phone. I stated that. It is also in the record. Curious that. The phone was confiscated with my other belongings, but I have heard... Through the proverbial grapevine, it went missing shortly after my arrest. Perhaps you can confirm this? I'll look into it. You're being coy, D.I. Chisholm. The mammoth intensity of that room became unbearable in a very short period of time. So I left. There wasn't much left of the structure for forensics. What they did find was bonkers. Didn't tell a clear story. Reports blame the extreme heat. I cannot describe to you the passage which took me to that final place. It was either too dark or a memory too fragmented. The psyche does wondrous things with trauma. No, I do not. But it feels like it took a very long time. I was sprinting toward the end, though, because of the screaming. 
I emerged into an opening of pure pitch. I cannot recall ever experiencing such complete lightlessness before that moment. All that I reported, stated, or confessed was an extraction made possible by the sudden jolts of vision that Spotwelder afforded me. There would be that utter nothingness, then an abrupt flash of sparks, and the electric sound of the welding. In those instantaneous moments, a scene of absolute horror was betrayed. Several cables stretched from the metal box that Welder was working on into a very large pool. The liquid splashing about the pool resembled a black mercury, metallic yet liquid and, and how can I put this, viscous. It was thicker than water. Both my companions were standing in this pool, their skin glistening with the substance. I had the immediate impression that they had been submerged in it prior to my arrival. They were howling in clear agony. Grady was clutching his face in a tearing motion, and Victor was bent over. I recall noticing three men with very long poles standing on the various edges of the pool, prodding both men with the poles, like they were trying to keep them in there. I did say that, but now I'm not as certain. Back to what I said about trauma. There's a vague memory, but all I can report to you is an elusive image. Grady's fingers were longer, just a bit, like he had an additional joint in his fingers and maybe more than five of those distended digits. And here we are, Detective Inspector. All that rubbish you were spewing. You could have swung the insanity plea your barrister was pushing. Easy peasy. Why the guilty? Let me tell you something. I was never going to be cool as peapods and magic sunglasses. No, life is messier than that, and all invasions encounter resistance. That, and my correspondence, leads me to believe he knows more than he admits. You're talking about the hypotheses again? Many elephants in our room, Detective Inspector. You have friends in low places, D.I. Chisholm. Friends who roleplay things. When our dear friend, the good Dr. Bunkenko, gave me my analysis and special therapy, it was a terminal prognosis. You know, I really believed he was trying to stop it. Ha! 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 You cannot stop them. And why would you want to? But what did you do to them? I had to know, to see. See what? See what's inside. No, I don't reckon so, Elliot. But I know you're leaving something out. Perhaps the most important part. Why? Warden said just yesterday, what's gotten into you, Sheehan? He really doesn't have a clue. But I do. I know exactly what has gotten into me.
The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. Only one way to release the parachute, Jimmy. You're flailing. A windmill against the future. Institute file number 673. New disease arena. Capgras syndrome is a psychiatric disorder in which a person holds an irrational belief that a familiar person has been replaced with an identical duplicate or imposter. Stephen, haven't heard from you in a while. Was able to get my mitts on some documentation and some more from Jimmy's friend in New Jersey? Man, that lady's been through a meat grinder. Real tough gal. Not too keen to talk, either. Guarded. But once she got going, brother, a torrent. A lot to say about Jimmy's courier company. Actually worked there herself. Same screwball narrative, Stevie. People who ain't people, slow changes, hostile takeover, invasion. She actually added quite a bit to that piecemeal hypothesis, too. I'll send you the notes. Mark, I ain't gonna lie to you. The lack of sensation in my extremities hasn't improved. But I can't let that stop me. Something I found up there. Something I need to show you. Delivery is a podcast distributed by Celebrity Tumor and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial share alike international license. For information pertaining to the episodes, cast list and attributions, please visit deliverypodcast.com.